Well, she is, Captain. Isn't she a beauty? Yes, she is, Mr. Scott. Is she ready to go? Aisa, she's ready to go to the stars. This is the 300th episode of the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. Its mission to seek out new ideas, find new games, and to boldly bring the awesome to your game. Mr. Scott, Warp 9. I Captain. And now, our host... This is Bruce. This is John. This is Trav. This is Pixie. Welcome to the TriTech Games Podcast. Your podcast of looking out for the evil bad guy, the supernatural meanie, and finding out there's no gravity. Zero thirteen in space. <laughs> No. Thank you, Pixie. <laughs> Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast, uh, where we are going to be exploring Bureau 13 once again, but this time we're talking about doing adventures and investigations in space. Trav, are you familiar with uh, all the different current uh, canon space things that we have? Well, I know that in the past, repeatedly, you've mentioned that Bureau does have a moon base. Right. That's mm-hmm. about it. That's all we that I know of that we've really ever talked about. I know that Flash Jervis has mentioned that he's an astronomer for the Bureau. Right. Mm-hmm. That's it, basically. Because of the moon base, uh, we have, you know, obviously some kind of, of, uh, well, at least lunar technology of being able to, you know, to live, you know, in a habitat on an alien world. We have the ability to move from one place to another, some kinds of spaceships, uh, or, and we have some means of going from the moon to the earth. Now, in the story that this is all drawn from, the way you get from the moon to the earth is uh, you, um, uh, you're you teleported. Uh, actually, it's from the earth to the moon. You're literally teleported uh, into orbit around the moon by a psionic teleporter, at which point you're picked up by an orbital lander and who then either takes you to the uh, what what's referred to as bedroom eye, which is the... Uh, a satellite that orbits around the moon on a um, uh, what is, what is the the uh, orbit, John, where it goes right between the edge between light and dark as it faces the Earth. Oh, hmm, a terminate along the Terminator. Yeah, I guess so. The it's it's on. It's a polar orbit. You mean it's a po- it would be a polar orbit then? <laughs> Well, it is definitely going from pole to pole, granted, okay? But, yeah, that's that's what it's doing. And that gives it a, a good view of the back, of the far side of the moon as well as the Earth side of the moon. And Oh, so it's along the, um, what I think they call it the Goldilocks band, or the Twilight band. Yeah. It's along the Twilight band. That's what it is. Right. And, um, and so, uh, but there's also a big moon base on the, Far side of the moon, whose job is to, is primarily to observe the rest of the solar system and defend using you know massive arrays of uh, weather makers and other site type devices uh, uh, the moon and Earth against incursions from aliens uh, when they detect them, of course. Uh, but we do know from the uh, list of enemies. Uh, and whatnot in Bureau 13 that there are a number of aliens who actually come to Earth. Um, the, probably the most prominent are the uh, are well the, the Martians. There's at least two different Martians, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's the Wellsian Martians. 
which are the the octopoids, you know, brains with with tentacles. And I think I don't know why I don't. There's the big head, the big head Martians, like what's in Beach Bunny Bimbos with blasters. Yeah. Right. Ah. So we have at least two different races of Martians that we're sure of. Now, beyond that is pretty much we, and we of course we also know that there are slavers out there that try to come to Earth to pick up people and 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 take them back uh, to the stars because that's incursion and incursion is in the Bureau Thirteen universe. And much yes. more so since we we uh, detonated the atomic bomb in, in Trinity because that was the signal to our well our watchdog to go let's go home and let the let, let the folks know that hey these folks are now intelligent they're part of the galactic community so to speak right so so we've had almost seventy years of free for all of the of the aliens rediscovering the earth and coming down to them so if anything there should be more and more um, uh, alien incursions. Mm-hmm. Now it doesn't mean there weren't any de- in, in, earlier because there was only one guardian, and if there was, and they came in, if they came in multiples. At least one we could get through and get into Earth and and steal people because we know there are folks who were taken centuries ago from Earth. Well, so, yeah, they, they it, in in the beginning of Incursion they even said it was one Sentinel monitoring mm-hmm. the system in 1945 when the bomb went off. It mm-hmm. left. So, yeah, the galaxy, this system has been pretty much open to those slavers from the consortium for the past... From from anywhere. 70 years. Well, yeah, but I mean, especially from the Constantner Consortium area. Yeah. But but obviously, we are far away from the Constantner Consortium uh, because we haven't run into them. Otherwise, you know, they're, they're, we're we're basically on the fringes of the, uh, of the solar system as far as that, uh, that is concerned. That's something I've wondered, Bruce, how far away, and, and we talked, John and I talked about this. Is there a definite canon distance between our solar system and the Constantinir consortium area of space in the Milky Way? If there is, I haven't heard it, so maybe Richard has has something there. Yeah, I mean, best I can tell, it's either either on the opposite side of the galaxy, which means it's at least fifty thousand light years away, or it's in the neighborhood. When I say neighborhood, that's anywhere from five thousand to ten thousand light years. Well, yeah. because we're in what we call the Orion. What is it? The Orion spiral arm. Oh, the Sagittarius. Our galaxy is about, it's a spiral disk galaxy, but it's like, what, 125,000 light years across by yep. like maybe 20,000 deep? Yep. And I forget the width. Well, that's 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 what the across means, Trav. Yeah. 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 It's a barred galaxy. Uh, it's a barred spiral. We actually have two major arms. Uh, and some, and some, you know, some splits. And we're actually on one of the splits. Of yeah. one of the major arms. Okay, well, let's not get too nerdy about this. Basically, if you if you follow the original uh, incursion book, um, when you come out, you will not recognize any of the stars. There's nothing in the sky that you can recognize or even guide on. Not even so neutron you stars. So pretty much we're on we're on the opposite side of the galaxy from Earth. Oh no, that just means we just we're at least five at least a thousand to five thousand light years from Earth. Because that's enough to okay. change the skies to the point where you're not going to recognize anything. Okay, all right. Just something I always wondered. You know, with that in mind, we need to understand that, you know, there there isn't a whole lot of information about, you know, um, uh, we also do know there's another alien because uh, at the, uh, the little adventure at the end of uh, Black Powder, there was an alien dirigible spaceship that uh, came in, and they were a different race too. So uh, there's there's other races out there. So when you do these adventures, okay, keep in mind the fact that you don't have to be limited to just um, oh uh, supernatural that's come from Earth and gone out to to like say the moon, okay, and and that adventure by the way did have an, an alien race uh, that lived on the moon. It was not native to the moon. Uh, it actually um, uh, operated off of gravity waves and and such. Um, and believe me, I was using gravity waves long before it was ever a big thing. <laughs> yeah. 
And the thing is, too, you will probably find on the moon at least one or two remains of a human attempts again to space from anywhere from the night from what, the late 1800s up until uh, World War Two. <laughs> that were, you know, yeah, we're talking the fictional, you know, because Bureau 13 is kind of a fictional universe. There are some things Will you find Cavrite sphere uh, it's up to the GM. So let's talk about the kind of adventures that Bureau 13 would be doing. See, normally, Bureau 13 is only interested in, A, things that threaten the United States, and B, things that have a supernatural element. These purely alien incursions are supposed to be handled by the men in black. So if you're playing a Bureau 13 agent, the question is, why are you out there? Why are you trying to stop them? What, you know, what, are, you, what are you doing here? I would probably say that some alien supernatural craft, device, artifact, um, being comes from the stars, crash lands, if not in America, then a nation friendly to America, such as Britain or whatnot, and the Bureau is called in. Now, if the Bureau deems this a threat... They will use things like psychometry and divination to find out where the heck this thing comes from. And then from there, they will, you know, from the moon base, try to go and investigate, okay, what is this world like? How can we, you know, defend against some, whatever they might have, you know, and do recon. Are you talking about going back to their home world? Well, I mean, if you want to know what the heck's coming, if this thing, if this mm -hmm. thing is like an advanced scout... Yeah, you might want to at least, at the very least, do divination on it to find out where it is in the galaxy. To know, mm -hmm. you know, what they might be up against. If it's some, you know, ichthyoid wizard, you know, then you're going to want to know if this is just a lost traveler or a harbinger of things to come. Okay, but you, you basically bring up a good a good point here, Trav, and that is is that if you're going to do this, if you're going to have Bureau 13 involved in these kinds of adventures, the very first thing you need to establish is what technology is available to Bureau 13 to do this. Okay, are do they have salvaged alien spacecraft that um, that Robertson has you know started back up into 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 working condition so and and uh, you know uh, re-engineered to, to 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 work with human hands you know is that something is is you know does that exist or not oh yeah um and and I've postulated this before based on everything you guys have talked about everything I've found out comparing it again folks I use the the OGL D20 progress level charts i've determined between stuff that might have been found from idet other dimensional travelers other space travelers that the average tech level of bureau 13 is pl7 the gravity age which means professor robertson is dabbling in pl8 energy energy age level tech now, I looked through D20 Future and Future Tech this evening. With the engines available, PL7, you can travel anywhere from 5 to 10 times the speed of light, which that would still take... A while. Uh, well, no, by, <laughs> by the chart in D20 Future in the Traveler Science section, which I believe is Chapter 5, um... Earth to Alpha Centauri would take about 5.28 months. So if you leave January, you're going to arrive there maybe the second or third week of May. So that's not exactly fast space travel. It's definitely a commitment if you're going to Alpha Centauri, but it can be done. So I was thinking, yeah, you know, travel's not going to be all that far with straight hard tech. Yeah. I do have an idea for how exploration can be done. And Pixie and I were talking about it earlier, and she's grinning because she knows where I'm going with this. Uh, Bureau 13 Earth is a prime Earth on the fringe network. Colonel Talbot has 
and th- this is something I'm throwing into canon here, a five-person fringe-worthy team jokingly called Talbot's Raiders, they could start exploring the Star Hub platform and even mm-hmm. the system platform. Okay. And now we, we've not determined where portals are. Excuse me, that's been left to you know your particular GM. I don't know if we want to establish it and set that in stone. I think it'd be more fun if you if you leave it up to leave them. it to the GM. Leave okay. it to yeah. your specific GM to decide where the portals on the system and star platforms yeah. go. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, you might want to say there is one on the moon, but it may not necessarily be where the base is. The 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 one on the moon. Yeah, it may end up be... being like one, it may end up being fifty miles from where the base is, yeah. Or it could be on the on the on the on the side facing Earth, which means it's always visible. Yeah. So, well, because I... the system the system platform, it's eight areas around our solar system. The Star Hub <laughs> platform it's eight star systems all within 40 light years of Earth. And then the star system platforms are eight locations within each of those eight systems. Yeah. And so, so there are technically 64, yeah, yep. 64 locations within 40 light years that you can get to outside of our solar system via the fringe paths. On a bicycle. Now, bicycle, <laughs> diesel truck, whatever. Now, John brought up something that because we also yeah. have magic at our disposal, mm-hmm. once Talbot Raiders start, you know, plotting, you know, where all these things are, because one of them, in, I, I have the characters made, one of them is a scientist. He can do astronomy, boom, determine the location from Earth, use divination, a magical portal can be made. And you no longer need the fringe-worthy to go between Earth and these extrasolar planets. Yeah. Right. You imagine that each one of those star platforms will have at least one, I would consider, Tumelon, what Tumelon would consider a interesting world, and Tumelon's consider interesting worlds ones that actually have life or potential for life. Yeah. So, and and I, I can tell you right now, there there are several worlds within 40 light years that are that are that are basically candidates for having habitable worlds. You know, you can you can find them in various places. Uh, uh, Project Row is one is one is one website that actually has a it was called the Habitable Star Catalog. Everything out to a hundred light years that are good candidates for life. And of course, they have to keep updating it because now we realize, oh yeah, and red you know M class stars, red stars. If the planet's in the right location, yeah, it's a candidate for life too, even though it may be tightly locked to the to the star. I also found another site. It's atlasoftheuniverse.com, mm-hmm. and just look for all planets that they have found within 50 light years. And that is another good source if you want to populate your star hub platform. I looked that up today, mm-hmm. and. I mean, it has a lot of information, including the Gliese number, G-L-I-E-S-E. John, can you give a quick explanation of what the Gliese number is? Oh, it's a, it's a star catalog. It was a star catalog, I think, compiled in the late 1920s or 30s, uh, based on stellar parallax. That is, they would use the uh, the orbit of the Earth to determine w- how far a star was. Now, of course, it was inaccurate um, when later well, hippocampus. When the Hippocaro satellite was put into or was put up, uh, it basically made some corrections to the Gleesey catalog. <laughs> well, I but, mean, it's the best of what we had at the time, and yeah. you also told me, John, of a site that allowed you plug in the Gleese number, and mm-hmm. it would it would um, basically take you to the take you to the star. Yeah, right. Uh, basically, it would it would take that information, and say, no, the Gleese number is now here. But somebody came up with a formula to determine, okay, the, the Gleese number is now this number. So, yeah, there is a site out well, there that if you have the Gleese map of the galaxy, or at least the general area well, that we're well, in. Well, the, yeah, the Gleese number is a catalog number. So here's star catalog number, blah, blah, blah. 
You plug it yeah. in, it will then take you to the star. It will give you the currently best, best I would say best accurate estimate of how far how far away the star is. Any information, what kind of star it is, is it you know whether or not it's a binary or trinary, you know like a, a, like for our FTL game, we have people going to Formut. Well, it turns out Formut's a trinary system. There's three stars. Now they're all way the heck out there. The farthest one, the the uh, Formut C is about a light year away from Formulet, but it's still within the gravitational control of it, because Formulet's a big star. Okay, uh, let's see. From And from my chart on atlasoftheuniverse.com mm-hmm. slash 50lys.html, our farthest mm-hmm. star, it is 39.93 light years away, mm-hmm. and it is HR 1925. Yep. That's Hippocaros' uh, uh, designation. Yeah. Also, yeah. another one interesting one is Soul Station. It's actually more gaming oriented because it's actually it was based on the uh, uh, C.J. Uh, Cherry's uh, novels, but okay. they actually have a f- fairly accurate they actually have a fairly accurate um, star maps they update on a regular basis. So, yeah, let me save this because I'm gonna want this for later. Yeah, and they're out uh, and they go out to as far as 27 light years with their maps. Why? Whatever are you talking about, Joseph? <laughs> that I have a a scientifically based uh, no, no, list no, no, of no, no, all the worlds. No, 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 I'm not. I'm not. Uh, 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 Once more with feeling. Meh. You're getting a star map, okay? Yeah. And for there's. For later. He says. For later. Remember, He's folks, Pixie is in all of all four of my gaming groups. So yeah, and and the one I use for if I really want to get if I really want to get if I really want to get really accurate, yeah. I go to the Astronomisches Reichens Institut Heidelberg. Oh, okay. They basically have they have all the different map, all the different stars. You can oh, okay. if you get a glacy number, you can you can look them up, but you have to know what you're looking for. Yeah, remember how I said we didn't want to get too nerdy, guys. Yeah, okay. Okay, so there are star charts out there for you to use if you want to say, hey, where'd the alien come from, okay? And if they happen to be close to another star that the or lucky enough that the fringe-worthy star platform actually goes to that star, then you really got an advantage going. And, of course, uh, all the smart GMs are going to do that, by the way. Uh, so Because why make it harder for yourself? Uh, there is another way of getting out to the stars that has been available ever since the dawn of man. And it is uh, a way that has been uh, in the earliest editions of Bureau 13 uh, available to uh, all the, t- uh, the various um, teams. And that is gate travel, conducted gate travel. And what that is is that uh, you create a portal, and you go through, and it takes you to another location, and if uh, which is usually fairly limited to like a you know one hundred ten thousand miles something like that. But if you get it, if you do a conducted gate travel, which means that you summon a creature to take you through to where you want to go, and that means you're summoning a demon. If you summon a demon, he will take you through hell, which apparently is the sh- you know, all you know, uh, all roads lead to hell, or it's the sh- you know <laughs> it is the shortcut between every place in the Bureau Thirteen universe. So you can go basically through hell for a short distance, pop back out, and voila, you are in whatever location you were trying to get, plus or minus you know uh, how badly the demon manages to screw you. Uh, but uh, you can very easily end up on another world, another star system, hundreds if not thousands of light years away from Earth. Yep. And then he says, bye, suckers, and now you got to figure out how to get back home again. Yeah. I have two words for you guys. Don't. You, you have something, Pixie? She's just not on board with this idea. I'm sorry. <laughs> I got one word. Oh. Uh, so many- it's not the two words you're thinking of, Dixie. <laughs> I got one word for you on the whole summoning demons thing. Don't! <laughs> <laughs> okay, Bruce, your two words are... True name. Ooh, yeah. 
Oh! Yes. You know the true name of the demon? You're going to be seeing him again. <laughs> he better he better learn a way of living with you because you can make him, you know, you can summon him up to clean your bath, you know, your your toilet. You can summon him up to, you know, do what all kinds of noxious jobs, you know, if he doesn't act right. Or she. I mean, you know, demons, of course, can be any gender. It. Whatever. Now, well, now, let's just see here. You use a demon's true name. You basically, well, true name works for anything. But demons especially, you, let's see, how, I, I, get a demon by, and we'll use a semi-vernacular term here. Get a demon by the short and curlies. <clears throat> and he, yeah, he can take any, and he will not screw you over because you have that that deep down primal power over him mm. and just yeah okay i'm seeing with the true name yeah you could get pretty far now it is limitless if you just give him a location distance is not an issue oh mm-hmm. and we've already got massive types of scanning devices now just with hubble and whatnot excuse me and then Add into account the Bureau's static PL7 level. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Actually, I was just thinking that there's actually there is another way available besides using demon travel. And that's, of course, because, you know, magic works in the Bureau 13 universe. What was that oh, one? Yeah. Uh, what was that one product that used to be that, that TSR used to put out? Spelljammer? Magic based ships, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, sailing ships. Yeah, if if you want to introduce that sort of thing, you can. Okay, we've never we've never had it in in any of the Bureau Thirteen adventures, but that doesn't mean it can't be there. It's you know we we are silent. Tritac is silent on that particular point of view. <laughs> Here's another one that I found, and this is and and for those of you who played 3.0 Fantasy Flight games, put out. And and there are people trying to resurrect this setting for Pathfinder. It's called Dragon Star by mm. Fantasy Flight Games. Oh oh yeah, see John knows it. Oh yeah, it, it was a humdinger. And they had something in the Guide to the Galaxy called an Astral Drive. You basically bypass space by going through the astral plane, and can sit and you could do ten light years a day with an Astral Drive. That means mm. you can get to mm. Alpha Centauri in about. 10 hours? No, it's it's uh, 10 hours a day. Um, it's it's four that would be five hours. light years. That would, John, yeah. that would be five that would be five light years in 12 hours. That means just under 12 hours because Alpha Centauri is like 4.4 yeah. light years away. Yep. So you can get there in about 10 hours. Maybe 11. But yep. yeah, still that drive, oh yeah, that would be great. And here's the thing, in the astral plane and we'll give the general OGL things here. You don't age. You don't hunger. You don't thirst. So food is not an issue. You just, you know, have a snack once you get back out of the astral plane. But that would be another. See, there are a lot of ways that you can bypass normal space to go incredibly far using magic. Oh, you can also use the method John Carter used, which, what was it, sir? The body telegraphing. Yeah, yeah. 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 See, my knowledge of John Carter is from the the wonderful yet much maligned movie from a few years ago. Uh, it's from reading of uh, uh, the actual Edgar Rice Burroughs stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. But even then, it's, st- it's still, yeah. He was able to go from one place to another. Uh, it was limited to the solar system, but, you know, I can imagine that if you know what you're doing and you can set it up, you could, you know, go put yourself into that, into that uh, special kind of sleep and then wake up on another planet that won't kill you. Because you would, I think... Yeah. Yeah, you, know, you can go to other planets that basically are habitable. Now, it may, GMA say, well, it's random. Where you well, that's go? That's just the GM being um, <clears throat> a phallus. <clears throat> we'll yes. leave it at that. <laughs> if this is part of the GM's adventure, it makes sense that you'd be able to get there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, so we, we don't want to create straw men here and knock them down. No, 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 yeah, yeah. Basically, the GMT is random, but, of course, you're going exactly where the GM wants you to go, so don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> From your standpoint, you would be landing in a random location on the planet, but, you know, exactly where the GM wants you to. So, 
what you're saying is you might get to the particular world you're trying to get to just a random spot on that world. Right. And then you'd have to travel from there to where you want to adventure. That makes more sense. Oh, I got a real good way of reconning a world. If you have some type of, um, you know, with decent astronomical navigation, astral Mm -hmm. form. There's no distance requirement there. Just as long as your silver cord isn't messed with, you can go anywhere in the universe. Well, the best way to recon a world, Trav, is for you to get your hands on a real live native who came to Earth, which is why you're in this situation in the first place, and do a deep telepathic scan on that person. <laughs> That'll give you the best information. Yep. Now, remember that Bureau 13 adventures tend to be caper driven. So they, they tend to have, you know, they, someone came, someone did something, and now we're responding to that either after the fact or during it. We're not saying that Bureau 13 is turning into Star Patrol. It, I, I still think it, it needs to be still Earth-centric, but going out, those, those worlds, if there was a really good reason to do so. I said earlier about the tech level PL7 broaching PL8. PL7 by D20, since Bureau 13 D20 is the current, most current version of Bureau 13, you can only go five to ten times a year the speed of light, which, again, it still takes five months just to get to Alpha Centauri. So what I posted in our in our private Facebook group is that we'll have Bureau 13 and probably the other agencies, the farm and whatnot, we'll probably have colonized the hell out of the solar system. But that's about it. I yeah. mean, Ganymede, Europa, Io, Venus, Mars... Debos and Phobos would all have bases, or at least have been contacted. Yes, Josie. Well, I mean, we with magic and technology, we could find a way to put bases on otherwise uninhabitable bodies in the system. Well, the question is, uh, basically, this comes down to budget. Can we actually afford to do it? Because then you have to maintain those bases, and some may say, "That's very nice. You went to Ganymede. What's there?" Oh, there's well, worms and is worms in the under in, in the in the in the ocean underneath the ice. Are they intelligent? No. Okay, not going to Ganymede. You know. Well, I mean, well, I mean, I'm sure they'll be we'll be picking and choosing mm-hmm. not only strategic locations mm-hmm. but also locations that would help us. Like, oh, let's say we need this type of mineral or this type of. We might have a base on, oh, God, what's the biggest asteroid in the belt? Ceres. Ceres, yeah. It's either Ceres or Vesta. Yeah, Ceres or Vesta. So, you know, we're, we're going to do, it. you know, if the Bureau, when the Bureau, as the Bureau is going out into space, they're going to be using all the, all the resources at their disposal, magic, psi, tech, to recon our system, find out where we can put up Habitable bases that we get something out of and will also help us monitor deep space better. We'll be able to, you know, better watch against various threats. Because now that the Enchani probe is gone, our system is defenseless from things like the Constantner Consortium, which we've deemed is like 5,000 light years away and can get here in four days due to the HFTL drives. Right. Well, it's not. We're not. We're not defenseless. Well, no, but I mean, we still need to monitor our system because. Well, yeah, I remember that the Enchani ships do have the. I want to say the blue field is the one that renders them invisible. So yeah, we're going to mm. need to find ways to set up magical type detections. If something comes within the system, boom, it'll pick it up, and then we can act accordingly. Well, not all of them are are shanty ships. In fact, I think the vast majority are the second tier or third tier level FTL ships that are showing up. There's only supposed to be 12 Ashanti ships. Yeah. Well, even then, you're still going to have, a lot of them might have visual cloaking devices, so we're going to need to have magical and other forms of sensory technology, disciplines, 
um, to sense incoming craft and beings. Because if we have an astral Levi- if we have a Leviathan floating through space, we're going to want to know what's coming. Yeah, I mean, having multiple eyes in multiple locations, because mo- even if you're invisible, if you're using anything other than a reactionless drive, your drive will be visible. If it's you know being shielded, it'll still be visible. So as long as you got enough eyes in the system, we'll be able to see you from the angle that is not does not become you, and we can see so, you coming. Well, yeah, it's going. To, we're going to need to have the system. If not colonized, then at least various checkpoints mm-hmm. that will cover as much of the system as possible, so we know stuff is coming in. Yeah, it, we we it, want to have that. Yeah, and if we don't already have astral like communication, we're going to need magical communication to be able to have faster than light communication so that those bases, wherever they might be further out in the solar system, can communicate instantly with Earth. Yeah, yeah now let's see. If we're doing... Oh, oh, this is what I... Yeah, folks, as of this recording, I turned 47 two days ago. The mind is willing, but the body not so much anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> don't you two start. I know you're both old on me. Don't start. Um, Where's that, Seti? I can barely <laughs> hear you. Okay, uh, let me look just here. For example, I got D20 Future here, the Starship mm-hmm. section. They have comm systems. Uh, let's see, a drive cot, drive SAM cot array, comm array, yeah, and a mass transceiver. Now, yeah, they can communicate within the same star system with no lag due to faster than light limitations, but the mass transceiver is only about a thousand AU, which are astronomical units. An astronomical unit is about ninety-four million miles, which is the difference distance between the Earth and the Sun. It's ninety-three million miles on the average. Oh, ninety-three, yeah. Okay, sorry. All right. So a thousand of those, but still a mass transceiver. That's PL seven. Now PL eight, dabbling. This is this is Professor Robertson tinkering and trying to push the envelope of Bureau Tech. A drive transceiver, the first interstellar comm system that's totally practical for small ships and second-rate colonies, uh, operates like the much larger FTL or yeah, PL7 drive satcom array, sending signal up to 50 light years distant. Mm. It travels at five light years per hour, so within a system, yes, instantaneous communication. <coughs> but that would be something that Michaels would ha- or Michaels. Robertson would have not, not a word, Pixie. That Robertson would have set up because we need that instantaneous communication. Although the mass transceiver would work, yeah. Because again, within a thousand AU, within a star system, that's instantaneous. So yeah. we have with PL seven. If you're using Bureau thirteen D twenty, and this is in the future SRD, so it's you know open game license. You have instantaneous communication via tech. Mm-hmm. So that that's taken care of. I mean, magical communication. Yeah, you're going to want a redundant system, and that could be like some augmented form of the message spell, or not uh, message or um, sending. One of the two. Yeah, it, it's all. It's also not susceptible to most known forms of jamming. Yeah, yeah. or an EM pulse. Yes. So yeah. yeah, we would want that redundant system. But I'm just saying, tech we haven't covered. Then magic, the sending. Spell and I think it's a cantrip. I think it's a zero level spell. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's something you can send. Now we do have to address the elephant in the room because while the bureau has such a wonderful space program, we still have NASA, ESA, Roscosmos, you know, the Chinese, Japanese, Indians, you know, setting stuff up there, taking pictures of all these worlds, and you have to ask the question: Is the is Everyone, and when I say everyone, all the supernatural agencies nerfing information and making sure they nerf it the exact same way so everything looks the same and everyone's everyone's satellites or what they see is what's really out there. And as a and as a person who doesn't believe in that conspiracies can last too long, I'd say it looks what we're seeing is what's out there. You know, Mars is well, dead. That, mean, that would mean then the bureau. Mm-hmm. Let's say the bureau has a faster than light drive. Let's mm-hmm. say they have, and I will pick one that is PL7 here. Yep. Da, 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 da. 
an induction engine, mm-hmm. which hands down the best engine available at this or any previous progress level. The induction engine uses artificial gravity to provide incredible thrust and maneuverability. The induction engine requires no fuel and provides no exhaust. It's ideal for atmosphere, orbital, or deep space work. Fine. We can zip around the solar system, and if you put a cloaking device on that ship, which also would be PL7, mm-hmm. uh, either, let's see, uh, even a stealth screen, most stuff out there is going to be visible by sensors, and a displacer it severely hampers basically a minus 10 penalty to a computer use check. It's going to obscure most sensors from other countries. And the Bureau, this space program is going to be what? At the minimum based at the moon. It's not even going to be like an earth orbit. Yeah. And it's probably underground, under underground as well. Cause that's, well, for one thing, it reduces the amount of magical shielding you have to keep maintaining crap like that. You know, good old lunar regolith keeps you nice and safe from radiation and heat problems and all that stuff. Well, that's fine. I'm just saying, though, if we're not going to be anywhere near Earth, if we're going to be at the closest lunar orbit, the only way we're going to be seen by anyone on Earth is via massive technology like Hubble or whatnot. The stuff that's in orbit... You put a displacer on a Bureau starship to zip around to local stars, it's still going to be very fuzzy. It won't be able to be told. It'll be written off as an anomaly or a smudge on the lens or something, and they'll move on. Yeah, They're not going to sit there and try to hack it out if it's some type of smudge or distortion. They might say it's some type of stellar body like a rock or something floating through space, and they'll move on. Not spaceships. A spaceship we can, yeah, you know, we can easily avoid being detected. It's our bases that we have to worry about. You, know, you start building a base on the backside of the moon, you start realizing, hey, there's a Russian satellite. Oh, there goes, there goes the, there goes at least two NASA satellites. There goes the Chinese satellite, and there goes the Indian satellite. You know, around. So you have to again, have again. That would again. I think we can even hide the bases with magic. Easiest way, but I, I would say easiest way to hide the bases is just put them underground. Well, you yeah, but them. still, you have, you're going to have to have some mm-hmm. above ground access. Yeah, yeah. you have yeah. to have some above ground access, otherwise people aren't going to be able to get in there. Right. Yeah, you have some sort of Doctor No thing that the bottom of the crater goes down, and pulls over, and now you get out of it. You know. <laughs> Yeah, it's it, it's it's more it's more James Bond than 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 magic or it's high tech. It's more you know it's the bomb the crater drops moves over and now you can launch your your interceptors to go after those uh, aliens out there. Well, yeah, but we're going to have some way to hide the base from prying eyes like the the satellites mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. you know the Russians and the Chinese and the Japanese and whatnot. Yeah. So I mean we have that covered. So we have a base. We have a way to get up there again, magically teleporting up to mm-hmm. Bruce. What did you call the base orbiting the moon? Bedroom eye. Bedroom eye. Okay. Uh, bedroom eye, and then from there, orbital lander down to the moon base. Now, does the moon base have a name, or are we just call it the Bureau Moon Base? It's called Farside. Farside. Okay. So we magically teleport up to Bedroom Eye. Then we take some type of orbital lander down to Farsight. Okay, we're there. Now, if there is, a, I'm sure that there is probably some type of docking bay and hangar where we would have some mm-hmm. form of spaceship, either magically made or through tech. Or both. That too, techno magic, even better. Um, so we have that, and we're going to have it shielded to avoid detection floating around the system because there's going to be spy satellites zipping around that are going to catch it. We're going to want to hide that. The amount of observation on this solar system by its own primary life form is almost nil. So your chance of actually being identified by somebody when you're zipping around at extremely high speed 
uh, is unless you have something that's blaring out tons of energy for it to be seen. Even so, you know, it's almost nil. Like you said, Trav, you're going to see like a streak, you know, on a plate or on a computer screen. And like, what was that? Well, as long as you don't use the same path each time you go somewhere, they'll never pick you up again. And interesting yeah. enough, if it's is a, is if it's a video recording and you're going super luminal, the streak is in the wrong direction. It goes from where the it, because you're going faster than light. That's you know, neither here nor there. And I can actually see. You well, know, the thing is, you also got you also got tons of amateur astronomers, but all they're going to see is a is a twinkle or a, or something move. And if it's moving super luminal, it, you know, basically their 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 cameras won't catch it if they're recording the sky. Yeah, basically, if there's something there and it goes faster than light, boom, it's like a twinkle. Yeah, it's that's about it. It's going to be a flash and gone. And they'll just yeah. chalk that up to light reflecting off a lens or whatever. Asteroid, so, swamp gas. Your biggest issue is when you leave or when you arrive, because there you're always going to the same location. Hopefully you have some other locations that maybe you could land at and then travel. But it's... I'm saying that's the biggest uh, thing where you're coming, leaving and coming from the same location. That's when they can start saying, hey, you know, these things seem to be leading toward this direction. And then they start paying more attention to that area. So that's why you want to have a lot of anti-detection, illusion, whatever types of things you have to make them not see where your base is. I would say then, then teleportation would be, and, and let me check, uh, let me look at traveler science here again, and because they have various ways to get around, and it's not starships. Oh yeah, Trans- um, transporters. Transport boots and transportals are both PL eight. Therefore, these would be by because remember PL eight is the experimental stuff. That would be the stuff that that. Professor Robinson would be looking, going, "Yeah, I, I'm, this is a you know experimental prototype. I want you guys to try it." Most bureau agents would be giving him the hairy eyeball, and they would be embracing yeah. their inner doc. Especially when they're looking at the at his assistant, at his assistant with the fly head, you know. <laughs> yeah. At that point, yeah. It's just temporary. Yeah, we we run back through. We separate them. You know, we're not going to get Brendel fly. Uh, <laughs> Well, so here's something else, though. I, and Bruce, you were talking about, well, if they keep appearing and reappearing, that's why you have other areas in the system. You land on those. You put a base on mm-hmm. Mars or Phobos or Deimos, one of their two moons, or on Ganymede or Europa or Io, and then you do the magical teleport like you would getting up to Bedroom Aya. Aye, that way then... Nobody sees you coming and going. You're too far away from Earth to be picked up by anything on Earth. And you can still use FTL once you're at that outer system landing pad, basically. Yeah. yeah I, I would say there's plenty of asteroids to land at. We have so many yeah. asteroids out there. You... Best, yeah, Vesta. Vesta. Yeah. Well, they're awfully far. They're far out. But yes, you're right. There's plenty of small ones that we're not going to look at anytime soon. They're probably even better because one, they don't have a significant gravity to add extra, you know, extra cost or whatever. You know, if you if you worry about that. Uh, the other thing I, I was trying to bring up though is that that does mean because we if we're if we're not nerfing or re- rewriting all the data we're getting from all those probes, there are no Martian, at least no surface Martian civilizations. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we do see the ruins of them, you know, the face on Mars and the sea nearby. I mean, you know, wherever NASA wants to say, yeah, those are ruins. <laughs> you know. Well, that's fine. I mean, you, we can sit there and extrapolate on that and say that there is stuff or was stuff going on on Mars. And if there's anything underground still, mm-hmm. or maybe they're in a pocket dimension that's only accessible through Mars. That, again, would be a great thing for the Bureau to go and find because... It deals hmm. with either advanced high tech or a supernatural aspect. Yeah. So, Mar- you know, where those civilizations went, that would be something else that 
It's quite possible that the Martians have, have gone to another world that's more habitable for them, and they have a, a direct connection from that world back to, you know, one of their ancient cities on Mars that they come through anytime they want to keep an eye on their nearest neighbor. Yeah, all oh, oh, those funny hairy apes, hairless yeah. apes. Are we are we interesting enough now for them to actually come back and pay attention to us? Well, I don't know if we're on Mars. I would say if we're at least running robots all over the place and you know digging up their desert and everything with tra uh, tank treads yeah i think they'd want to come back and go okay our sensors are picking up we got stuff here i was making a joke there trev because we, we've already talked about that there's two different groups of martians who come to earth uh because it's in the bureau 13 lore yeah and you know the, and if the gm wants to add other ones i mean basically you know maybe the stories of john of john carter aren't of our Mars, they're of this uh, of an alternate Mars. You, you can travel using that body telegraph system. So, yeah. I mean, having sex, there's so many dimensional rifts floating around near Bureau 13 Earth that any number of pocket dimensions and alternates are that don't even fall, fall within the fringe path system are hanging around for you to explore and be part of. Oh yeah. Because uh, that's what I did. I, I, I sent a group through uh, a rift that was in the upper atmosphere, and they went basically they they went to a John Carter Mars uh, without John Carter. They were you know they were the ones there, and they dealt with all kinds of crazy things and ray weird rays and all kinds of stuff. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. This is Richard Tahoka. Wait till you see what's coming next. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.